Hello, and welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. The goal of this podcast is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their communities. The host of the Organizing for Change podcast is the coalition coordinator for Avon, Massachusetts, Amanda Decker. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. I can't believe that it's been 11 months already since we started this podcast, but our goal is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. I join Larissa Swenson of the Greater Boston, Massachusetts Tobacco Free Community Partnership Program, it's a mouthful, um, which is an organization working to reduce tobacco use among youth and people in general. And if you're familiar with the Drug-Free Communities Grant, this fills our sector, which is another organization working to reduce substance use disorder. So Larissa engages stakeholders, organizations, basically to increase community capacity and build support for local tobacco control policies and regulations. She also partners with individuals and community coalitions to raise awareness about health issues related to tobacco use. And the reason that we really wanted this episode to come out is because it precedes a very important upcoming event. So on November 16th of this year, it will be the third Thursday of November, which every year on the third Thursday, smokers across the nation take part in the American Cancer Society Great American Smokeout event. So they encourage anyone that they know to use the date to make a plan to quit or plan in advance and then quit smoking that day. By quitting even for a day, smokers will be taking an important step toward a healthier life and reducing their cancer risk. And we'll include a little bit in the show notes if you're interested in that event or you know somebody that you would love to set that information to. Without further ado, enjoy our episode 11. Welcome, Larissa. Hi, thank you for having me, Amanda. Um, I'm really excited that you're here today. So tell us a little bit about what you do and how you're involved in community change. Oh, great. Um, I work for a nonprofit called Bay State Community Services. Um, My position is a program coordinator. Um, I am the coordinator for what is called the Greater Boston Tobacco-Free Community Partnership. Um, It is a program that is funded by the um, Massachusetts Department of Public Health. Um, the program up at DPH, it's called the um, Massachusetts Tobacco Association and Prevention Program. And some of the things that we concentrate on is we concentrate on smoke-free housing. Um, we talk about the dangers of secondhand smoke. We provide cessation resources um, to everybody in the Commonwealth if they want to quit smoking. Um, and one of the biggest things that we concentrate on, um, or two big things that we concentrate on, are policy change, and we concentrate on prevention of youth initiation to tobacco products, which is re- we're hitting that home really big now. So. Awesome. Tell me a little bit more about the policy change that you focus on or how, how does that all work? Um, yeah, so we, um, I, my region, Greater Boston, I'm in control or not in control, but I am responsible for 56 different cities and towns in the Greater Boston region, um, Avon being one of them. Um, myself and technical assistance, we do go to different cities and towns um, throughout the catchment area, or they call us wishing to make changes to their, to their tobacco sales regulations. My technical assistance, which could be lawyers, some of them aren't lawyers, um, they recommend changes to their um, tobacco sales regulation. 
And the big aim for us and for our programs is that we want them to adopt what's called a comprehensive regulation. So that includes adopting policies such as um, doing a restriction on flavored tobacco products. So kids will not be able to walk into a, a CVS even or a Cumberland Farms and buy flavored tobacco products. We also look for um, cities and towns to place a cap on their tobacco sales permits. So there's not a large number of retailers selling tobacco products mm -hmm. in stores, things like that. Um, and one of the really big ones right now that we're taking a look at trying to limit the um, sale of cheap single cigars. So if you go into any of these cities and towns, um, you wouldn't be able to buy any single cigars for less than 250. Another big policy we take a look at is um, a pharmacy ban. So right now we know CVS did a really great thing by taking out all the tobacco products out of the retail establishments. Um, but this would um, tell other pharmacies within city or town limits that they would no longer be able to sell tobacco products. Because why would you want, why would you try to go into an establishment or want to go into establishment, CVS had it right, that sells products that are to promote health and you see cigarettes or tobacco products behind the store shelves. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really, and it removes the normalization of tobacco products right. for youth. So we don't want youth to walk into these healthful stores and basically be like, oh, if it's a store where you can buy healthy things and tobacco products are there, I guess it's okay too. So that's one of the really big things that we're hitting home as well. So let's say I'm a community and I'm listening to this podcast and I like all these ideas, but I have no idea even where to start and maybe not even necessarily just a community in Massachusetts, but just where do you start? I would start if you are a community coalition, even if you're a concerned parent that's listening, I would ask your kids what they see first. Take a look around in your own town. But again, ask your kids what they see. Ask your kids what they see at their school, what they see other students doing. When we talk to youth in the state of Massachusetts and when they testify at public hearings to make changes to tobacco sales regulations, they talk all about what they see their peers doing. They see their peers right now, e-cigarettes are a big thing. Um, Small cigars are a big thing. Small flavored cigars are a big thing among youth because, I mean, the, the flavors, there's thousands of flavors for flavored mm -hmm. tobacco products. Most of them are used to disguise the taste of tobacco, according to the FDA. But, yeah, definitely, I would tell people to, um, I would tell individuals and I would tell coalitions, ask their youth what they see in their community. Take a look around themselves. Go into all the individual convenience stores if you want. Um, go into the individual tobacco stores if you want. I mean, most of the time they will, they will card you, the tobacco stores, right when you walk in the door. But don't be afraid to go in and see what's available. You'll see all the flavored tobacco juices, all the flavored e-cigarettes that are available. Um, and don't be afraid to talk to your um, elected members or your appointed officials, especially if those are on the Board of Health. So don't be afraid to talk to them either and ask questions. Um, if you wish to see change, definitely um, talk about, see who else you can talk to, see if there's any other nonprofits or any other community health centers that run a tobacco program or a tobacco prevention program that that would be able to help you make any change in your community. It's really great. I think sometimes people will see a problem, but they don't necessarily know what they can do about it. Right. So talking to people and then walk us through. So now I'm a community member and I know there's a problem with flavored tobacco and I've talked to the youth. What do I do now? 
I mean, if you've talked to the youth, you, you yourself know there's a flavor, there's a problem with flavored tobacco products. If you're an individual of the community, for example, and you don't belong to a coalition, I mean, join a coalition, get the load done, because they definitely know way more than you do. Um, see if there's any data available. I mean, here in Massachusetts, we do um, the YRBS, the Youth Risk Behavioral Survey. Um, see if your individual school system for whatever state you're in does that kind of survey as well. See if you can get those results from school administration. Um, I don't think there would ever be a problem for them to release such information to you. If there is, they'd probably give you a reason why. Um, but just keep continuing educating yourself because once you fully educate yourself and you're armed with the data, you can definitely, with strength in numbers and with data, you can go in and talk about why you see this problem in your community. Mm -hmm. And I think too, it's so important what you just said about talking to people because oftentimes you'll find out that other people share the same concerns that you do, but you didn't know that because you've never brought that subject up to actually talk about it. And I love that you said involve the youth because what they see um, is so much different than what we see. Talk about some of the things that, I, I know you said the flavored tobacco, but talk about some of the things that have come out in the last few years um, that specifically target youth. I mean, I think a lot of people are even would be surprised to even know about some of those products that are out there. Right. I mean, we just started getting, we have a cool new um, brochure. It's called Big Tobacco Targets Kids through our program. Um, we have some new data points. Um, so some of the data points are among Massachusetts high school youth, nearly half have ever used e-cigarettes. Wow. Um, so, I mean, that's a lot. And the thing about e-cigarettes, I mean, they just, I believe they just came under FDA regulation late last summer. So at this point, they're still trying to determine what the firsthand, secondhand implications are for using e-cigarettes. Um, but the big thing is the tobacco industry is using three main tactics in order to hook kids. They're using the tactics of sweet, cheap, and easy to get. The biggest thing we're harping on is sweet. I mean, a lot of these e-cigarette flavors, there's hundreds and thousands of e-cigarette flavors available to kids, um, whether it's in a single-use e-cigarette or whether it's in a refillable, rechargeable e-cigarette. Um, some of the flavors that you see around, you see cherry, strawberry. Um, I've seen flavors that are called chicken and waffles. Um, so some really interesting flavors, vanilla, just the very basic flavors to the very mm -hmm complicated, how do they think of that name, um, flavor. So that's the big thing right now. Um, and then, I mean, sometimes too what happens is not only do you have youth that are using e-cigarettes, I mean, the overall rate for cigarette use, actual combustible cigarette use is down, but sometimes that you also find that youth are also using, are dual using. So they're using e-cigarettes and then they're also using mm -hmm. cigarettes at the same time. Um, and then the good thing with all of these products, especially the e-cigarettes coming under FDA regulation, is that now it'll probably be better determined how much nicotine is in these products. Um, and that's what's getting the kids hooked too, is the nicotine, not just the flavoring, but nicotine is what gets them hooked. Um, and it's believed that youth who start using tobacco products early on, um, they're at risk for other addictive behaviors later on in life. Um, they're also um, at risk for any depressive behavior and also anxiety issues. So it's really important that we make parents aware. It's really important that kids are also aware. I mean, this is what the tobacco industry is doing. They're making their products flavored. They're making them relatively inexpensive um, and they're making them easy to get. So it's really just something we have to make everybody aware of, not just in Massachusetts. I mean, everywhere. The tobacco industry is spending millions upon millions of dollars in their efforts to push these products. Wow. Um, to to try to portray to kids there, to try to portray to youth that it's okay to start using them when it's really not. Mm -hmm. It's that's so crazy to me because you think of all the changes we've made around tobacco and now 
young people are thinking that it's not so bad to smoke anymore because they're using e-cigarette as opposed to regular cigarette. What do you tell youth and other people who are just misinformed? They'll say all the time, I hear, well, they're not smoking cigarettes, so it's better for them to do this than to do that. What do you, how do you handle that? I mean, you're telling, you have people who tell you that, oh, it's not smoking cigarettes or it's only water vapor or, um, other other things like that. But the problem is, again, with the e-cigarettes, we don't quite know what's in them. Um, we don't know what the with the long-term effects of the chemicals that are in these e-cigarettes, firsthand or secondhand, like I said earlier. And it's not just like a vapor. It's an aerosolized spray. So it's, e it's smaller particulates that can get into the lungs. Um, a lot of e-cigarettes contain what I believe is called propylene glycol, which is which is reminiscent or comparable to vegetable oil. So you have a lot of these children, or not just children, but you also have adults who are using these e-cigarettes, and they're not a proven cessation method. They're inhaling all the contents of these e-cigarettes, and all I can think of is basically like a slippery coating on the inside of someone's lungs, which is not the most pleasant vision to have. Um, so the biggest thing I think adults and youth need to know is that the the like the jury is still out on a lot of these items, but the tobacco industry is hitting it home hard so i think maybe it was you who was telling me a little bit too about uh there's a something along the lines of popcorn cough can you tell us that story so i believe it was the harvard school of public health they had done a study i think last year and basically they if i if i can recall it correctly and excuse me if i don't if anybody goes to look it up and i have recalled it incorrectly forgive me um basically they did a study that of individuals who used to work in um, the factories that created microwave popcorn. Um, the butter flavoring that's in microwave popcorn is reminiscent of the flavoring that's found in e-cigarettes. So they found that individuals who worked in these popcorn factories developed popcorn lung or pockets within the lungs, which I believe did cause respiratory distress. So they're kind of taking a look at, oh, is this going to ultimately, are e-cigarettes going to ultimately cause the same effect, which wow. they don't know yet. Because it's just too early to tell. Right. Yeah. And there's just so many conflicting reports. Like I go online, you go online really quickly and you see, oh, like I believe places in Great Britain say e-cigarettes are okay. And then the U.S. comes back with a couple of different articles. Um, and right now I believe, and I should have actually brought the, um, I should have brought the article with me. There is a new trend with e-cigarettes now, um, which is called dripping. And I don't know, I should have, I should send you that article. Basically, I believe what they're doing is they're removing the, e-cigarette juice and they're actually using it in a different manner in order to get a bigger buzz or effect from the nicotine wow. in the juice so that's really disturbing as well um and i mean if kids and if youth are um i mean we want to tell the youth about the dangers of e-cigarettes and we want to tell the youth that trying to alter these e-cigarettes or the e-juice in any way is very dangerous. I mean, not only are we concentrating on the dangers of using e-cigarettes with the nicotine in them, we also have e-cigarettes. I'm sure you've seen all over the news how their batteries are starting to explode. People are putting them in their pockets and they're exploding in their pockets. And um, I do know in Quincy, somebody last year had plugged in their e-cigarette to charge at a restaurant and basically the battery exploded on them. Not on them, but in general, it exploded. So, I mean, it's all a danger issue. Mm -hmm. It's a danger issue. It's a health issue. We go in and tell housing authorities, too, that if they want to implement a smoke-free law or a smoke-free policy, that they should also include e-cigarettes, not just for the health factor. And we don't know the secondhand 
um, consequences yet. But also, I mean, you've heard, unfortunately, stories where individuals have tried to light a cigarette, they fall asleep, it falls into the couch cushions. Mm -hmm. um, and a fire started. We have e-cigarettes now that their batteries are basically exploding. So it's really, we're trying to tackle it on all fronts sure. in that case. I think it's interesting, too. Um, I've just heard a lot of rumors around that young people won't just put e-cigarette juice in there. They'll put other things, too, like illegal drugs in there. Or in the case of Massachusetts, too, um, just be able to use marijuana with that, too. And that's that's a concern, I'm sure, to a lot of people, too. Um, I know also something interesting that you said, too, is for just people to go in and take a look in the store to see what is being sold. And I think that's a really great tip because people, you know, might be a little bit further removed from the whole scene right. from when they were younger. And uh, some of these products, I mean, they They're don't... brightly colored and it's crazy. I mean, I've never smoked in my life. Um, so sometimes what happens is when I go to do presentations, I bring samples of these tobacco products. Now, my predecessor had her old tobacco products, so I realized they do get stale, so the smell gets kind of the same over time. So I decided to go buy some new products, and I felt just kind of like it was me going in and trying to see what was going on in the random communities I selected. Um, but to me, it was kind of an eye-opener how they're all displayed, um, all the flavors that are available. I mean, I went to go open up a pack of watermelon cigars, and I took a whiff, and immediately I wanted to buy a pack of watermelon Jolly Ranchers. Those are basically one of my favorite candies. So I was just amazed by how much they smell like the candy and the just the candy and the fruit flavorings that are available. Mm -hmm. And I just, I mean, just go in and see what's going on and how inexpensive some of these products are. I mean, Avon's really lucky because Avon's done so much to try to um, take care of the flavored tobacco issue and also the pricing issue. I mean, no longer in Avon can you go into a Cumberland Farms or any other um, general convenience store and purchase a flavored tobacco product. Um, I mean, and also with cigars, no longer can you buy a single small cigar in Avon for as little as 89 cents or 79 cents. They have to be $2.50 or more. Some cities and towns in the Commonwealth, you can walk in and buy a package of two flavored cigars for 99 cents. Right. And I mean, that's, that is really, really inexpensive. And the tobacco industry is using the cheaper prices to target the youth so they do work they do act on that impulse buy and i mean the impulse section of a of a teenager or a youth's brain is not fully developed so if they see something relatively inexpensive they're going to want to go after that inexpensive item first rather than rather than wanting to buy something more more expensive like a bottle of soda or even a bag of chips and i mean in our message is that it's the tobacco industry that's targeting youth. By no means are we pinning it on the youth that they're going to get the product somehow, some way. By no means are we delivering that message. The message is it is the tobacco industry that is pouring the money into these efforts in order to get kids hooked on their products. What do you say when people say, well, you know, the tobacco industry is, you know, they have every right because they're selling it. These aren't youth. They're selling it to people who are 18 and older. These are adults. I mean... The thing is, when you say, oh, these are for adults and these are, I mean, one of my technical assistants had a really great point the other day. Tobacco products are the only product when used as directed will cause death. So, to, and then basically what's happening is the tobacco industry is, 
I mean, eight, you say 18 or older, but I mean, you have flavors like bubblegum, you have flavors like watermelon and pineapple, you have flavors like cotton candy, um, and then you have the color, just the coloring of the packaging alone, um, some of them genuinely smell like candy, like I said before, but I mean, what the tobacco industry is aiming to do is they're aiming to create another generation of smokers. They're trying to replace the older smokers with youth. Um, and whether they're 18 or under, I mean, we have seen that when youth do start using early on, they are more likely to get hooked for life. I think it's interesting, too, that, you know, the youth brain isn't developed, we know right. this, until in their mid-20s. And uh, some communities have taken on the stance of raising the tobacco legal age to match um, our drinking age right. um, to raise it up to 21 because an 18-year-old's brain is not developed yet. And I also think, too, um, you can talk a little bit more about this, but if an 18-year-old has access to purchasing tobacco and they're, you know, most 18-year-olds are still in high school right. or just getting out of high school, so they have access to all those friends that are, you know, in the school, too. So talk a little bit more about what that process looks like and why it's so important um, that you're doing that work. Yeah, the Institute of Medicine in 2015 released a report um, trying to explain why it was best to re increase the minimum legal sales age to 21 for tobacco products. Because when you have an 18-year-old, a lot of them, and you're right, Alandra, still do associate or are still in high school and associate with high school friends. Um, the reason of upping the minimum legal sales age to 21 is that um, they're no longer associating with any of their high school friends or they're no longer associating with anything related to their local high school or whatever high school that they went to. Um, most of them are in college. Most of them are working. So that was the main one of the main reasons um, why that Institute of Medicine report from March 2015 talked about raising the minimum legal sales age. And I don't have the numbers on me, but they said that if if the entire, I believe the entire country raised the minimum legal sales age to 21, that you would have thousands of fewer deaths because you would have it would prevent you from using so early on wow. and if people were looking for resources um where would they where would they look um if you're looking for resources i would definitely start with make smoking um that is the massachusetts department of public health's um tobacco cessation and prevention program webpage and we do provide what we call um, community fact sheets on every single city and town in the commonwealth avon included um, it gives an overview of the adult smoking rate um, in the individual cities and towns um, the retail density in every city and town and it gives an overview of which policies have been passed um, regarding tobacco sales regulations for every city and town that's great and we can link that in the show notes too if someone's oh, listening direct what if um, they're not, if, if a listener is not necessarily in Massachusetts, are there any other places you'd recommend them to go look outside of Massachusetts? I mean, if you are looking to, if you're outside of Massachusetts, you can always probably take a look at the American Cancer Society's webpage. I would also um, encourage somebody to go to their own respective Department of Public Health webpage. Mm -hmm. um, I know, I believe I'm from Rhode Island, and I know I believe that the Rhode Island Department of Health has their own tobacco program. Um, I'm not quite sure what it's called, um, but I would Google it up just to see, I mean, like go to Rhode Island Department of Health Tobacco Prevention. Um, if you, for example, live in Florida, take a look at their Department of Health website. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they also have resources that you can check out. Yeah, and start. I, Google's a great 
great i love google yeah it's a great (laughs) tool to be able to do that um do you have any just last thoughts for just if somebody's sitting and they they're thinking i really want to create change how do i start um doing that when it comes to tobacco what words of advice would you give them maybe from an adult's perspective and maybe just speak directly to some of our youth listeners we have some youth listeners out there too of just they're interested in creating change around this. I really think if you're an adult and you want to create change, whether you're around tobacco, whether you're in Massachusetts or whether you're elsewhere in any other state, um, I just, again, like I said before, I mean, do your research, look, ask, listen, um, take notes if you need to, and then go in, talk about, try to find any local health, community health coalition that may be involved in your area because chances are they have a concern too. They just might not have enough people that, are willing to speak up about it yet. Um, also, if you're a youth, if you're a member of the youth community, um, I mean, the state of Massachusetts, it's great because we have the 84 movement. Um, it's a youth-wide movement against um, the tobacco industry. Youth will be able to go talk to their legislators about what they see in their individual communities. Um, and when we talk to these kids about talking to legislators, we tell the youth that they're here to listen to you. They're here to learn what's going on in your community at your level. So I would also probably tell youth to not hesitate to even write letters to their legislators to um, call and see maybe when their visiting hours are, not necessarily at their respective state houses, but also a lot of legislators have their own in-town hours. So sometimes it's at a local coffee shop or sometimes it's at a local restaurant and you can go and talk to your legislator about what you see in your community, whether you're an adult or whether you're a youth. Um, And I really think a lot of lawmakers really like to hear, even local local lawmakers, state lawmakers, they like to hear from the youth what is going on because that's the future of their city. That's the future of their state. So by the youth going in and talking about what they see, these legislators can hopefully turn around and they can talk about what kind of changes they wish to have made. That's great. I think that's so important what you just said because oftentimes I think there's this misperception that lawmakers are just, you know, very well informed about all these things. And the truth they're is not. they're just regular people. And um, a young person who is educated and did the research, they can really make a difference. As well as an adult, you know, if you make the time to go talk to somebody, you, you can make a difference. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank and, um, you for having have me, you, Amanda. Yeah, I hope you have you back fun. in the future. So yes, thank you. Alright. For more information from today's podcast, check out our show notes. There you can find our contact information, social media, and website. Please get in touch with us if you have any comments or questions. And if you like today's podcast, please share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.